I want to tell you about this Tipperary man who found stardom buried beneath the soil. He can be 20 foot down because make many enough one bit of freedom. Not a bit. Someone who could sleep in a coffin for weeks could still his mind for an eternity. And I'll fight till death before I'll surrender to him. They even discussed McMeany in the House of Commons. In London, in 1968, this 33-year-old builder tried to break the world record for time spent buried alive underground. Nearly 50 years later, we sent our reporter to some dark places to resurrect Mick's story. It's a story still spoken about in the city's Irish bars. He was the first man that was buried alive, but I heard the video. Don't know why, he'd be long enough down there. He was buried in a, a coffin in the 60s by uh, Buddy Sugaroo. He was an Irish strongman. Circus strongman uh, arranged it. There was uh, a few guys that they were buried in coffins. One, I think Mick Meany was uh, in Kilburn, but um, the other ones whose names I can't remember, they were buried in Camden Town in a pub called The Elephant's Head. People burying themselves alive in places like Camden Town and Kilburn. But why? This man, in my view, was like looking for a world record. I suppose it was like the Guinness Book of Records. He was trying to achieve something himself. That's how he decided he was going to go about it. How he ever got the idea himself, I really don't know. A dangerous attempt that caught the attention of the tabloids and the imagination of the public. I don't know, it's, it's being buried alive is a thing, isn't it? Huh? There's not many people being buried alive, is there? To see a man so determined, he even dug his own grave. And the fear of, uh, because that's what everybody in the whole world's trying to avoid, being put in their coffin. I mean, the psychological aspect of it is terrifying. How did a man born on the side of a mountain end up buried alive in Kilburn? And what happened during his world record attempt that made Mick an international story and sent the BBC scrambling to fix a live satellite link? Sit down. To find out, we need to go back to his adopted home, Mitchellstown in County Cork. Back then he was called the human JCB. I've seen him as a child. He could literally lift a tree and put it on your shoulder. This is Mary, Mick's daughter. She still lives in Mitchellstown. They were waiting for the JCB, but he taught himself. He was his intelligence. And he said, no, you don't need the JCB. He dug a hole and then he dug around it and he pushed a the rock, and then he buried it. And when the JSKB came, it was like there was no need for it. So, very inventive mind. She says Mick dreamed of becoming a professional boxer, but a bad injury at work left him with a damaged hand. He couldn't become a world-famous boxer, like his hero Joe Luce. He, he thought to himself, I'll find another way. And as he said himself, being buried alive was all the rage at the time. So I know him now, you see, he said to himself, I'll do that. It could be anything. I'll bury myself and I'll break the world record and I will be world famous. He went to London to find a job and to build a future for his pregnant wife and their three-year-old daughter. But he ended up 
being buried alive. I think it was a combination of everything. All the ducks were aligned. The mood in London, you know, the discrimination between, of the Irish back then, it captured something in them. It captured their imagination. They needed something. In 1968, the world underground title belonged to a colourful American who went by the name of Digger O'Dell. The record stood at 45 days. But there were other contenders, like Tim Hayes from Cork and the sometime country singer, Texan Bill White. Kilburn in the late 1960s, it was a mad place. Pubs spilled Irish labourers searching for work and the high road hosted some really strange stunts. A Kerry strongman was behind a lot of them, a master of publicity. He once pulled a bus across Westminster Bridge with his teeth. Who else would McMeany get to promote him? Only Butty Sugru. This is, a, this is a pub here, the Carlton Vale, see it? Oh, yeah. The block uh, bought that. He, he was going to develop it, and, and the council wouldn't allow him to knock it. John Kane from Mayo lived around Kilburn then. He remembers Butty's unique brand of entertainment. It used to be called the National. And uh, he ran that for a while with some American bloke. He's going to put a, a ghost up on top of it, uh, make it a, like a puck fair. <laughs> you wouldn't believe that now, would you? This is the site at the centre of the story, a lorry depot just off the Kilburn High Road. All this area here was on the Cain's yard, and this is where he was buried. Right. Hello, is David here? Yes. Thanks very much. Yeah. This is David Keane. His father, Mick, owned the yard. It was through Butty Shukru, uh, because my father knew him, and uh, I think they were chatting, and he was talking about this chap, and he said that uh, he wanted to create this record, and he wanted to be buried and he wanted an area where he could bury him. So my father said, I know there's a place where I can actually do it. You can use part of uh, the depot. So that's how it all came about. Mick Meany was already in training, sometimes staging public workouts upstairs in Butty's pub, the Admiral Lord Nelson. His gym machine of choice? An oversized coffin. And the London landlord, Christy Kassan, remembers him laid out under the lid every night for three weeks. A lot of people thought it was pure daftness. What down on the ground did bury him. Like, can you imagine now trying to bury a lad alive off the Kilburn High Road with health and safety being what it is now? Like, was there any, do you remember, was there anything like rules or could you just go and do something like that without even going to the authorities? Like? Well, they just planned it with the paper. People thought it wouldn't happen, but it did. And uh, if it happened to nowadays, you wouldn't be allowed to do it. Because uh, different rules, different regulations. And what would the regulators and the rule makers say if it was tried today? Yeah, I'm, lo I'm looking for a health and safety permit um, for somebody, either myself or a stuntman to be buried alive in Kilburn for, well, an undisclosed period of time. OK. That sounds interesting. <laughs> um, 
What I would need to do is uh, liaise with the team. Can I put you on hold for a second? Yeah, no problem. Thank you. With today's safety standards, it would be impossible to recreate Mick's stunt. Oh, listen, thanks very much, mate, for getting back to me. Okay. Um, yeah, let's, let's see if we can help, because a lot of us are confused as to what the request is. Uh, and that's probably because we've never had a request like this. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I haven't had a request like this in all of my 20 years career. February the 21st, 1968, and Mick Meany got stuck into his last supper in the world of the living. Journalists packed into the Admiral Lord Nelson pub and scribbled down details about this Irish builder. Five feet, eight inches tall, 13 stone. In the archive news footage, you can see his thick, woolly hair, his blue eyes, and his broad shoulders. His undisciplined training diet was packed heavy with steak and cigarettes. His coffin was foam-lined and built by a man called Rick Hooley from West Cork. He'd contact the outside world through two seven-foot pipes, one for food, the other for ventilation and conversation. His burial outfit, a pair of two-tone blue pyjamas. Every man and woman in this country and in Ireland are behind you. With the dinner done and the lid sealed, Mick was lifted out of the window of the pub and onto the back of Mick Keane's lorry. Oh, get it on. Can you just keep this end up? Right. Get it on. Put it down. Lift it on. Thousands of Irish watched the world's biggest live wake. He told me he dug his own grave and he practiced for 11 days. But that's the reason he took down the, um, the crucifix and the rosebud because he saw spirits. But his workmen filled the grave with soil and shingle. I was there the day he went down. He was buried in. Um, down near the chip in Cain's yard. And, uh, but he had a pub just up the road from it, which was called the Nelson. It's a roundabout now. I want to go by to the down shy, where the wild and Buddy's most famous customer, the world-renowned Irish tenor, the gorgeous Gale, Jack Doyle himself, there to sing Mick Meany into the ground. And of course, Jack Dade was singing there every weekend. He was made of butties. He was married to Movita. He was a fine singer and he was well dressed, handkerchief and top hopping. But he was six foot six. Author John Healy remembers mass media attention. It was reported in the papers. I think the Daily Mirror, as, as you'd go along, you'd see these um, headlines, Man Buried Alive. I think that was the, the, the draw card. Not long after he was buried, the BBC fixed a live satellite link between London and America. They wanted a joint interview with Mick Meany and his rival for the Guinness World Record, Country Bill White, who was buried alive in America at the same time. Not a bit. Not night I made one bit of fight an American. It was like a boxing weigh-in in wooden coffins. 
Christy Kassan and David Keane watched on from Kilburn with astonishment. My biggest memory of it was the, they got linked up on television himself and Yank. They, they went down slagging each other and the next thing uh, he told the Yank that he was inside in the basement. I'll tell you, the swearing, and it was on Sunday before Songs of Praise. I didn't, re I didn't really want to tell you that because, but the swearing between the two was pretty hot. Then I think the newsreader said, oh, I have to apologise for that because there was some effing and blinding that was going on. And at 6.30 on a Sunday, because I remember there was cousins over from Ireland and, they, and we suddenly all heard this and we thought, oh, what's that? Oh, he's, he's on the TV. And then that was just effing and blinding between them. And I think Mike Meany started it, which, you know, he, the other guy, they got under his skin and he agitated him. And that's all from us tonight. Now here's the weather and good night. So I think that was the end of if I had a chance to make you a few quid. Meanwhile, in a quiet corner of a quiet kitchen in the quiet of Mitchellstown, Meany's wife Alice heard for the first time that it was her Mick who was buried alive in Kilburn. Look, he didn't be up front and say to her, by the way, Alice, I'm burying myself alive. <laughs> you know, she found out through the, to, to the radio. So, because he, he probably knew the answer. Would be no, <laughs> but she left him be. Like you know, I like that fact. But you know, she let him off. And if he wants this, she was up there smoking away and just like waiting for her husband to come back from the world of the dead, as you would. <laughs> and you always just took it in her stride. Captured imagination and brought condemnation in equal measure. Remember, this was the late 1960s in Ireland. The country was deeply conservative, and deadly religious. I'd imagine just like the, just like the, you know, going against the green of God, like the work of the devil, and being buried in the world of the dead. And I'd say it was a mixture of oh my God, and a mixture of wow, you know, both. Even today, I'd say there's both feelings. It's they say it's the worst death ever. You know, it's meant to be, but he had faith that he'd be safe, and he he believed in himself that he could do it. In Kilburn, Mick settled into a somewhat surreal routine. Mike, what happens? What do you do with yourself when you wake up in the morning? When I wake up about 7 o'clock in the morning, I, I go for a half hour physical training, guided overhead uh, by Buddy Sugar. What I, kind of exercises? Oh, limber exercise and rolling about, and I just kind of press up and all kind of loosely the bone, like. You do press-ups inside the coffin? Yeah, but slightly, like, you know, because I, I couldn't do a right press-up, but uh, just slight. And what, what happens after that? And I rub myself in with embrocation. Embrocation oil? Yeah. Yeah. And I have breakfast in. Yeah. And I, and I go for reading after, after the breakfast. You do a bit of reading, do you? Yeah. What are you reading? I'm reading an over professional boxing. He walked seven on the dot, and whatever, and he did his some kind of lubrication oil to loosen up the muscles, and he did his exercise, and then he had his breakfast, and he read the newspapers, and then all day then um, people were talking to him, so he was totally entertained. And some people, you know, they'd be talking down to him, and he'd go, "Hello, is that you, Billy?" You know, he'd recognise the voice. The depot did have varying 
uh, levels as you went through it and this was a slightly more raised area but he was actually buried down into it so people could go up into this this corner of the depot and then they would actually walk around and there'd be queues forming so that they could all look down into this tube and go hello Mike how are you doing how's things and for a while I think Mike thought it was very amusing but of course when you've got hundreds or thousands of people saying this to you all the time I think there was a time where Mike almost felt I need a rest from it. But what about the dangerous and potentially fatal environment? It was 6'3 and he was 5'8 so there wasn't a lot to move around like. And he said that the hardest thing was the heat. But you could warm up for the cold, but he said that the heat was unbearable. And most urgently, and more importantly, where and how did he go to the toilet? It was meant to be kind of a secret um, hatch. And then he was given some product. But I'd say, you know, that, um, you know, he body sweating was been, oh, it's been awfully physically hard. There's not a body in there, is there? Yeah, is there? Yeah. <laughs> <Are> you afraid? <laughs> Paddy Ryan is probably the best-known Irish undertaker in London, and he had close ties with Buddy Subaru. What might Mick have been thinking down there, boxed in on all sides in the dark yeah. of a coffin? Paddy offered our reporter an opportunity to find out. Is there one there that I can get into? In a mortuary, with bodies laid out on all sides, Paddy picked out a suitable coffin for this mock burial. Set it on the ground. And seal the lid. Put it on full. Can you hear me? Yeah, no, I can hear you, Ari. Jeez, I can't believe how we would have been able to. Like I'm here now, I can't, I can't turn. Just leave it there for a couple of minutes. It was an uncomfortable introduction to Mick Meany's world. I don't know, he's no, um, he would have very little room. He would have very little room for his head. And he was saying he could turn over. So I wanted to turn over this one. to be watched. If you panicked, what happens? At the same time, you're, it's the power of your thought that stops you from panicking, but all the power is with the, 
the people outside or up above who can let you out. The feeling of wanting to sit up and not being able to is oh, it's really unpleasant. This is a serious kind of mind control. It's a bit for break anyway. You know, something like that, not being able to sit up but trigger panic and then it's the idea of time slowing down and how dark it is in here. Days must have passed, like months, weeks. It lose perspective then as well. Just you and your, your thoughts down here. And trying to ward off all kind of sorts of horrible scenarios. I think it's time to get out. Paddy? Alright? Yeah, okay, Paddy. Did you get up? Yeah. Jeez, I don't know how he did that. What did they cover the coffin with? Did you ask that question? Oh no, they had soil on top of it. But the soil, you could see nothing. You see nothing at all. Only the, the hole, the, the pipe that, had, the, that was put down to, to do we, they could talk to. The light of the pipe, I mean... No, what light could go down a pipe? In Keane's yard, Meany started to hammer out days in his tomb. He was powered by a steady stream of visitors and a still mind. Buried alive in a building site accident in Birmingham years before, Mick learned he could control his feelings of panic. On the other side of the Atlantic, news of his progress was drip-fed into country Bill White's burial chamber. Could he break the record, White wondered? Could he even survive long enough to break it? Three weeks into the challenge, and a truck weighing more than 10 tonnes reversed into Keane's yard. A truck went over his grave. Can you imagine the pressure of the earth? But he decided he was going to come up. But he said, no, I'll stick it out. But he said that was, that was scary. But at least someone copped on and got the truck because it killed him. In the halls of power, sitting MPs leaned forward to hear more about this bizarre record attempt in Kilburn. McMeany had made the House of Commons. I think that it was brought up that um, the conditions were primitive and they wanted to bring him up. I was just impressed, you know, that his name was mentioned in the House of Commons, you know. But it, it was passed anyway, so he was left down there. Four weeks. Five weeks. Six weeks. And with the record likely to fall, people began to wonder about the incredible will of this McMeany guy and whether it was possible for someone to survive down there for 45 days. There, there was a lot of scepticism that... Um Maybe uh, they were in the box, or were they coming uh, after the pubs closed and having a good drink in the uh, after hours, and then <laughs> maybe going back in the box in, for the day? It would be bar talk to say, oh, has he got an escape hatch? Can he get out? But there was no way. He was actually, that's where he was all the time. So people were still coming to him at night time, late into the evening. But this was no stunt. There was too much on the line, too many watching eyes. 
And who knew that Mick Meany would catch the attention of one of the greatest boxing champions the world has ever seen? That Butty could run a telephone line from his pub to the coffin for Mick to speak to his hero, Joe Lewis, in America. So the story goes. Can you imagine the, the excitement when um, he, Joe Lewis phoned him? Can you? And, and he, oh, he must have jumped over his skin with excitement. That must have been such a buzz. Seven weeks in, and word spread that Mick Meany was unconscious in his coffin. And another time, someone said that he was in another event, saying this he was dying or to come quickly. This, but I think that was a hoax, just to get more publicity. Nearly eight weeks into the challenge, and country Bill White emerged from the ground in America after 55 days buried alive. Then, the sun rose on April the 22nd, day 61 in the ground. News travelled fast out of Kilburn that the challenge was over. Had something happened? 61? That was an unusual number. There had already been numerous scares and parliamentary concerns. Now the press raced to Meany's graveside, not knowing what they would find. Butty waved for calm from a platform up high as workmen dug up Mick Meany's coffin. When Mike Meany was being taken up and the media, the press was there, they had to wear little badges to show that they could actually be allowed in. And there was one journalist, and I was only a little boy, came up and said to me, could I have the badge? And me knowing no different, I said, of course you can have mine. And then when I tried to walk up to my father's depot, they wouldn't let me in because I didn't have a badge. They just thought this is this kid that's trying to get through. So it was actually, it was quite hilarious. It was just mayhem, complete and utter mayhem coming through. There was a sharp intake of breath when the coffin was lifted clear of the trench. For Undertaker Paddy Ryan, the moment represented a career first. I say we've got 45 years. I've never seen anyone come back to life. <laughs> Kilburn, a great day for the Irish. The London Irish girl pipers set feet tapping and shovels digging. Mike Meany had broken the record for being buried alive. The moment for him to be exhumed had arrived after 61 days down under. Not without dignity and due deference to the world champ who had been in solitary for almost nine weeks, they prepared for his re-entry into the orbit of the living. It was on TV, it was on the radio. Uh, Diana Dawes was there, who was all part of the uh, uh, procession. Like you have seen the video, oh, there was hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of people and they were so packed and mounts of police had come in to, to hold back the crowd and to you know, protect them because they and when they lifted up, they dug him up and then they paraded him through the, um, the streets and a, a tipper truck. Mick's arm waved frantically through a hole in the lid of the coffin at thousands of spectators stacked along the street. And he raised his hand, you know, to the hole and um, his hands were all caked and dirty, you know. His bottom, no? No, funny, I, I was looking, I was trying to see if it was my father, actually. David Keane and Christy Kassan were there to witness McMeany's return to the world of the living. Well, he'd have to be around there, wouldn't he? he would have been oh, he was there. The I, saw, I saw him in the photo in the Sunday Times. But they actually went up Kilburn High Road, and apparently it was just completely thronged out. And an Irish dance troupe led the procession. I was from Crowley Kilburn, weren't it? 
What he's having that. While the press chased the coffin down to Butty's pub, where a doctor waited to perform a live post-mortem. And there he was, folks. Hairy, grimy, but undeniable champion of the world. The doctor's examination, a tense moment. Yes, he was alive and well. Mike Meany lives to be buried again. He was still on night. The doctor delivered a clean bill of health to the now heavily bearded Meany and they celebrated Country Bill's demise. Mick was the undisputed world underground champion. The ink that would soon mark the Guinness Book of Records would carry his name. Right? Was it really all worthwhile? What was it? To tell the truth was I was looking for a man to lead me at an awful time. I was all out in the desperate bus with last 12 months to win. To get there, get a man, it was a very hard job. It was tough, and I was delighted and, and delighted when I met Buddy Sugar. Mm. He's determined words, work that really suited. Mm. Because I couldn't meet no man brave enough uh, back home. You could meet a middleman, but a normal macho, to macho bravery to lead. Buddy Sugar was the only man I know. And uh, the day he came up, then uh, we all took the day off work for the first one. So. There was plenty of crack around, back down to the Nelson, and it was chocolate rock. He said it was the mightiest occasion of his whole living life. Why it was 61, why not 62? You know, just I'd say just, they probably had enough by then, like, and otherwise it'd been 162. <laughs> We'd be there till now. There was a certain, there's a certain type of fame attached to, to it. Uh, you would be, you would be looked at as a, well, as a kind of a hero if you survived it, and uh, and of course it was a lot of fun too. There was a lot of fun attached to it. There was a bit of fun. The promotion had promised thousands of pounds and a world tour, but neither materialised. It was said there was the offer of an advertising contract with Gillette, but would you believe it? Mick only heard of the deal after he'd shaved off his beard. He'd met Henry Cooper, been introduced to Joe Lewis had his photo taken with Diana Dawes. And now, out of necessity, he had to duet with Luke Kelly. And to my father drank or sang with Luke Kelly. Well, you know, you know, back then Luke was always busking and yeah, he, my father asked him, would he help him out and get, because he had no money to come home. And the two of them sang away. And you know, like that ad in television, you'd probably give, he got, they got a load of money to shut him up. Because my father couldn't sing. Screaming. Worse, the Guinness Book of Records failed to register Mick's feet. His daughter said it was because her father refused to become a British citizen. Years later, in an interview with RTE, Mick was asked about his omission from the record books. Mick, who do you blame for not being in the Guinness Book of Records? Well, uh, I don't know who to blame. But there's one thing, uh, the Guinness Book of Records has not been fair to me. Well, uh, well, uh, well maybe it could be hard to blame them because I didn't write them. But anyway, the Guinness Book of Records could have clearly have seen at the time. 61 days was hammered out from the 21st day of February 1968 to the 22nd day 
1968, under worldwide television, under worldwide radio. But what papers are the pilot papers in the, uh, the height of a man over in London uh, on final day? The, the crowd, the crowd there, there, there are nearly 100,000 people there. There are a massive crowd there in London when I won the title. And they should have known, of course, that it was they you. Because they went all over television, all over America, all over Australia, Germany. And outside in Germany, they hailed me as the greatest underground man of all times. And that wasn't public house talk. What do you remember those 61 days? What was the highlight of, of that time? Well, the, the, the highlight was of beating the Americans. The Americans were red hot fairs at the time. And I was classed a complete outsider. Well, it, it made me fight with everything to beat him. After a month spent recovering in London, Mick moved home to Mitchellstown to be reunited with his family. This is Mitchellstown. This is Cherry Whelan's pub. He was drinking here. He was a regular in here all the time. Do you remember Mick Mealy, Johnny? I do. How many days? It was 61 days yeah. on the ground, yeah? It's pictures of the pub there, isn't it? In case he was going around the avenue, he came back and he was proud of the whole life. He was proud as, he was proud as any man could be, like, because he was after doing it, and that was it. Mick's devotion to this dark trade drove him into the ground many times again in the years that followed as he tried to rediscover the feeling of fame he experienced in Kilburn, but he never did. It's called the Seed of God. You know, where you find something that makes your, your heart sore and makes your, his eyes just come alive and they go back to that time and place where he broke the world record. Sadly, he forgot to live out his own words to control his mind. So it... What do you mean? Part of him stayed back there, you know, for the, the, feeling, the feeling of breaking the world record and the emotion and the drama and, and the, the buzz of breaking the world record. Part of him stayed back there. And then sadly, one day, in much later life, Mick Meany suffered injuries in a house fire from which he'd never recover. I had to pinch myself that he was being buried because I said, near and keep it together. <laughs> Yeah, because when the priest said, like, and he, I, when he fell down from laughing, I've never buried someone that hasn't been, that been buried before. So he was just, when he's been buried for real, like, he couldn't help but laugh. Mick was buried for real. Paddy Ryan buried Buddy Sugru. And so many others from this time have died that we worried Meany's record-breaking effort might go to the grave too. In loving memory of Alice Meany, died the 12th of August 1987, her loving husband, Michael McMeany, world underground champion, died 17th of February 2003. See, a champion is a person God meant you to be, your inner strength, you know, that's what really a champion is, a winner, really, no matter what, against the odds. But still, his story survives, part of popular culture in Mitchellstown. I think the whole, especially... Well, do you think it wouldn't be at 61 days? Do you reckon it wouldn't be at 61 days underground? If I got the look and he got I do it. He did, he did, he had an odd. You got only one coffin with me, two of the doors. The door of the door. And London, where old fans are quick to praise. Do you think 
there should be some kind of a, a plaque or an acknowledgement that uh, this kind of event happened here at this site. I think there should be, really. You know. Yeah, there should have been. I, don't know. I think many people would have uh, respected uh, Meany's endurance. It certainly, yes. A challenge that can capture the imagination of new fans, like his grandson, Conan. People did uh, break his record, but they, but they never did it like McMahony did. They had a big, huge cavern with TV and everything, and radio and all this stuff. And McMahony only had the newspaper. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't, I was just thinking my father would love to have his grandson here talking about him. Yeah. I'm surprised he'd come over the grave. <laughs> the excitement, you know, he'd love this, he'd be in his element. His name went before him, and he said he was from Mitchellstown, and, and they said, you know McMeany? Well, he was off. <laughs> and this, the story in um, Jamaica was brilliant. Like, I laughed over that. That's a true story, where a, a man was being hijacked in the car, and they got talking. He said, where is he from? And he said, he was from Mitchellstown. He said, do you know McMeany? In, in a Jamaican accent. And he said, he did. And he said, how, how was he? So he says, I changed my mind, and he fired him over the car, and he didn't rob him. Because <laughs> he worked, he probably worked with my father in the building sites. You just, his name went before him.